Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and a special guest with us today, Jesse Sanchez. We have a busy show today. Uh, Jesse's going to join us because the international signing period just began. Lots and lots of the top international prospects signing uh, with all 30 teams over the past few days. Uh, Jesse will give us a bunch of information on that. The 2021 top prospect lists are out. They're coming out. Uh, We started with the top 10 right-handed pitching prospects list, and we will roll out our top 10 by position position list leading up to the top 100 prospects list. Uh, That's all coming up over the next couple of weeks. We'll dig into that. MLB's Dream Series, uh, which was founded in 2017, went virtual this year. Uh, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to bring you some uh, some sound from the Dream Series. There was another big trade, uh, big prospect trade involving several prospects, uh, this time with the Pirates. Uh, we're going to dig into that a little bit, and we'll wrap up the show by answering your questions in the mailbag. Jim, Jonathan, 2021 top prospects list of the year. I guess should add an asterisk there because the uh, we did put out the 2021 draft list. But uh, as far as uh, the, the non-draft lists go, first list of the year went up. Um, top 10 right-handed pitching prospects list. And that's always a good one to start with because it's always loaded. That's one of the lists where we never have to fill in any guys who are not on the top 100 to, to fill out the top 10 list, not even close. Your thoughts on this year's top 10 right-handed pitching prospects list? Like you said, it's always a solace. You know, the, I think the biggest thing is I'm just happy once we get this started so people can stop asking when we're starting. Although I did notice that someone was asking when the team top 30s were coming out. So I guess always leave them wanting more. But kind of like last year's list, and I didn't go back to see if this is always the case, but you know, uh, so many from last year's list at least contributed to the big leagues in 2020. And that's the thing I think that stands out the most from from this list. It's seven of the 10. All of ETAs of 2021, a bunch of them have already pitched in the big leagues. Then the rest of the list are 2022s, and you never know with guys like that whether or not they'll be accelerated at all. I mean, two of them are from the 2020 draft class. That seems unlikely, but an exciting list and exciting because we're going to get to see them you know, pitch at the highest level and, and see if they deserve where, where they're at on this list. Yeah, and we'll see tomorrow when we jump and we do the left-handed pitcher list next. It, it's the same thing. I mean, I, I think of the top 10 lefties, top 10 righties, you know, I think we're projecting 14 or 15 of these guys to, to make their debuts this year. And, you know, again, I, I think this is going to be an unusual year. You know, Jonathan, you mentioned the draftees, you know, Max Meyer and, and Emerson Hancock and, and Garrett Crochet's already been in the big leagues on the on the lefty list you know we'll see i mean we're, if we go from a 60 game season to 162 game season that's going to put a lot of strain on pitchers you know max myers a guy who probably could have pitched in the big leagues last year if the marlins wanted emerson hancock's pretty polished ace lacy's got great stuff I, I think we may see you know even accelerated debuts for the draft guys too so it'll be interesting not that we'll necessarily remember but when we do this podcast a year from now we might be having you know 80 percent new top pitching prospects when we're filling out these lists yeah, when you look at last year's right-handed pitching prospects list compared to this year's, a lot of a lot of the same names in, albeit a slightly different order. It looks like Mize, Pearson, uh, Sanchez, Manning, Patino, Grayson Rodriguez, all holdovers from last year's preseason list. But uh, a couple of uh, 
bigger changes on the list, the number three and four prospects from last year's list who are still eligible, but not on this year's list in Forrest Whitley and Michael Kopech. Yeah, I, I just think there's a lot of questions about those guys. I, I have both those guys on, on top 30s that I do. Kopech elected not to play this season. He's coming back from Tommy John surgery. He's got a lot going on off the field. You know, Forrest Whitley, you know, remains an enigma. They say this every time we talk about him, Jonathan. I thought Forrest Whitley was going to pitch in the big leagues in 2018. thought he was going to pitch in the big leagues in 2019. thought he was going to pitch in the big leagues in 2020. And he, and he still has yet to make his debut. I mean, it, there was a, a suspension. There's been a variety of minor injuries, you know, control issues. I mean, it, it's been any variety of things. And last year, I, I lost track. I, I think it was, what, the, the Astros used 15 rookie pitchers, something absurd number. And, and, and none of them were Forrest Whitley. And... You know, if you're looking in terms of pure stuff, you know, Kopech throws as hard as anybody. The, the, the slider can be electric. You know, Whitley can show you five different pitches that are plus, you know, when they're on. But, you know, when we got feedback on those guys, talking to, to scouts and executives, they just don't know what to expect of those guys. And, you know, yeah. they could be stars or, or who knows. Right. Yeah, and there's still time for both of them. It's not, you know, they're not old. You know, it feels like we've been talking about them for a long time. As far as Whitley, I guess, just only should pitch in the Arizona Fall League. You know, but I think for both of them, 2021 will be very big years. We may look back a year from now and they may establish themselves and, and we're like, oh, that's, you know, when we had them ranked up a bit higher, it's not like they're vanishing completely. They just didn't quite make what, as Jason pointed out, is a very, very deep right-handed pitchers list. And uh, there are just so many unknowns about both. And, and, and Kopech, you know, opting out for, for 2020, doesn't bother me given you know the the pandemic as as much the fact that the Astros use pretty much every pitcher in their organization not named Forrest Whitley in some ways worries me more uh, and then there you know there are questions about their performance you know during the season over over time you, you, Jim mentioned the stuff they are overpowering at times command can be a, an issue especially for Kopech. Um, when they're locked in, they're as, uh, among the best still, but we just don't know what we're going to get from them. And I think this is really going to be a make or break year for both of them. If they're still on prospect lists at this point next year, then something probably has gone wrong. If they're, if they're still prospect eligible, would they be on the top 100 at that point? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, we we were we were talking about that uh, with the with the lefty list as well. Uh, that there are those guys that you know you get to that more or less make or break moment, and we 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 all know that sometimes you know, especially pitchers, get past that make or break moment, and you think, oh, that's it, and then they figure it out, and that certainly can happen. But the longer it takes for these guys, and the longer they sort of stall out at the uppermost levels of the minors the further they're going to to drop, you know, especially in a year like last year, as you point out, when so many young arms were needed. And, you know, if it doesn't happen again this year, where I think there's going to be a lot of pitchers needed in the big leagues, uh, they're going to have to be careful with uh, arm care and usage after a shortened year. Uh, I would think, I think there's still going to be injuries and things like that. So if you're not making it up and you're right at that level where you should be the next in line, given you know their stuff and their upside, then yeah, I think there there's a chance that they could completely slide off or at least be at the at the very end of the top one hundred. Yeah, I mean there there are already a couple of the older guys on the top one hundred prospects list, uh, Whitley twenty three, Kopech twenty four. So relatively long in the tooth for uh top one hundred prospects list. You're you're telling that to a couple guys who are fifty plus. So Yeah. 
Come on. Happy birthday again, Jonathan. Uh, you didn't have to do it twice, but thank you. Well, we didn't get to do it in person on the. On I the I do I do uh, I do appreciate that as the most recent addition to the AARP membership roles. The list that we put out, as always, get people riled up. Jonathan cobbled together some of what he deemed mean tweets. I don't know how mean these are. But are, you, are we allowed to use that? I don't know if that's trademarked, but go ahead. There, I, I would say they're more like just sort of angry, angry tweets. Mike Washburn in particular was was riled up. He said, how do you guys rank a guy in Anderson who pitched great in the majors and in the playoffs behind a guy who got tattooed in the in the majors in Mize? Six toe I get, but he has injury concerns. Same with Pearson. And then he, he wasn't finished yet. He went on with a, a second tweet that says, Mize might be the most overrated pitching prospect of all time. Guy is a fourth starter at best. I don't I don't understand what it matters whether Casey Mize got ink on his body. I don't. I don't really understand the complaint there, but that's an old dad joke. I don't joke. think that's what he meant. Oh, uh, I mean, uh, Jim, you want to give the sample size argument? Or yeah, I mean, I? I mean, you know, it's funny. I had I had a less mean tweet uh, at me about you know why Ian Anderson was behind Sixto Sanchez, but like one in a normal year, I would not define these guys by six, seven, eight big league starts. We, we did move Ian Anderson up. We, we did move six to up a little bit on our list. And two, I mean, I, I keep saying this and I, I'm going to sound like a broken record. I, I kind of give everybody a mulligan for 2020. I mean, I'm impressed that Ian Anderson pitched well and Sixto Sanchez pitched well, but it wasn't a normal year in preparation. Spring training started, then it stopped. Then you had a layoff. Then you had summer camp. Guys were coming up from the minors, making their debuts. And you didn't have the gauge of, oh, I was pitching well in AAA. This was working. You were pitching in in all camp or summer camp, not really in games, going to hitter side, you know, same thing. Uh, and and so I tried not to get overly excited by how guys, you know, did, you know, six, seven, eight starts. And that said, if you grade these guys out, you know, and performance matters more than just grades. You know, it's a combination. If you grade these guys out, no knock on Ian Anderson. I think Pearson, Mize, and Sanchez all grade out with better stuff, and they all throw more strikes. And there, there's nothing wrong with being the fourth best right-handed pitching prospect in baseball in our mind. Yeah, I mean, and Ian Anderson wasn't in our top ten a year ago, so he, you know, he he made the the biggest jump up. You know, we we're obviously aware of what he did and what he did in the postseason. Uh, certainly added on to the the sample of time. The, these are never lists of who was the guy who threw best last year, you know, or who's going to be the best right now. It's more of a, of a look at, at a long-term, you know, who's going to be the best in the long-term and could Ian Anderson be better than Nate Pearson and Casey Mize? Sure. It's possible, but based on, you know, what, you know, all the, the variables that Jim just laid out in terms of stuff and command, you know, we still put them slightly, slightly ahead. That's all. Well, that also uh, answered the, the third uh, compiled, ticked off tweet from uh, Roberto, which was after what Ian Anderson has done, this is offense. O f f e n c e, not not a fence. Maybe he's a Mike Soroka fan sticking up for Ian Anderson. That very well could be. I, you know, it, it's yeah. I think it touches in the same thing. And um, you know, I, I love Ian Anderson, friend of the podcast, but he also you know he needs to throw strikes more consistently also, and he he managed to dance around it. For the, for the most part, uh, and was better in the postseason overall. Um, I mean, there's a big up arrow next to his name. There's no question. 
but we need to see you know what it looks like over the course of of a longer period of time and assuming health we're going to get to see that out of the gate with whatever the 2021 season looks like all right guys i'm going to pull out the first pipeline pop quiz of the day last Uh last week jim was the only uh one to uh throw out a pop quiz so i'm going to put one out here for you which team has had the most players on our top 10 right-handed pitching prospects list going back to 2011 when we first started putting out the top 10 by position list? I will give you a, I'll give you a hint, not much of a hint, but this team has had 11 players. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> right, because I have it memorized just by number. Uh, I'll say the Atlanta Braves. A fine guess, but that is not correct. I, I don't think this is right, but they, but they have had a number of pitching prospects – I, I'm going to go. Go with your gut, Jimmy. It's usually right. I mean, I'm going to say Rays or Padres. You can't pick two. I know. That's what I'm saying. I'm stuck. I'm, I'm going to go with the Padres. The the Rays and Padres combined have not had as many players on the top 10 right-handed pitching prospects. Oh, so we both got it wrong. Jonathan's hometown team. Shame on you, Jonathan. Oh, man. You got to revoke the my Pitt- homer card. The Pittsburgh Pirates have had 11. Yeah, with Cole, Glass now, Mitch Keller. Joe Musgrove, who we'll probably talk about, right? But Joe Musgrove was not a Pirates prospect. Oh, uh, yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he was ever a top 10 guy, by the way. Back to 2011. Yeah, you had Tyone, Cole, Ty- and Tyone was on the list. Forever. Yeah. So does he count like so five times? Does that count times? like five different times? Yeah not, not, yeah, not 11 different players. Oh. oh. That, that, that's a poorly worded quiz. The, the professor messed that quiz up. Because I'm sitting there trying to think how the Pirates have I'm 11 challenge. I'm, I'm sending a challenge, yeah. It was not 11 different players. Yeah, poorly worded question. Yeah. Tyone, Glasnow. Cole. Just the four of them 11 times. Yes. Well, all right. How about how about this one? How many teams have not had a single player? Chicago the, Cubs. On the right-hand mm-hmm. pitching press yeah. list? Cubs, Cubs is one. That's easy. I'll say three teams. So yes, how many and which teams? Oh, how many? I'm sorry. I I was so excited I knew something. I'll say three teams. It's four. The Cubs is one of them. How about the Red Sox? Red Sox are another. Top 10 right-handed pitchers? How about the Yankees? Yankees are not one of the four. Yankees had uh, Luis Severino on a top 10. Right. The Angels. Not the Angels. Well, they had Shohei Otani. Uh, the other two teams, the Brewers and the Giants. Okay. So on this year's top 10 position list, a little look ahead. I'm not going to give too much away, but there are two teams that have six players on our eight different top 10 by position lists. Uh, one of them will not be a surprise. The other one might be. They've had historically few players on these lists, but stay tuned in to mlb.com and mlb.com slash pipeline as we will be releasing these lists over the course of the next couple of weeks culminating with the launch of the 2021 top 100 prospects list on january 29th Uh, you are listening to the mlb pipeline podcast when we come back we will be joined by jesse sanchez who's going to tell us all about the opening of this year's international signing period Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. 
With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com MLB. All right, welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and we welcome in our special guest, Jesse Sanchez. Jesse, I hope you got a little chance to breathe over the weekend. I know you were very busy, as witnessed by your social media accounts, where you were all over the place, breaking news of signings and sharing photos of so many of these young players who, um, as I've heard you talk about it quite a few times recently, are realizing a, a, a dream just 16 years old for the most part these kids but uh, a lot of work has has gone in to get them where they are today hey jason you know it's i've been doing this at mlb.com coming into my 21st season here and doing the international prospect stuff specifically international signing period that first day is one of the most special days of of my career i mean it's one of the most memorable parts of of, of the job because you know, you see these kids, you see the families, you see teams all coming together. And as you mentioned, I was flooding people's timelines on Twitter, on every social media platform. If you didn't like international prospects that day, I was not a good follow because you saw kids from all across the globe and their parents and teams. Yes, it was different this year. Everybody's wearing masks, but you can tell by the squint in their eyes how happy they were. So it was a really cool day. Uh, the period started on January 15th, continues through December 15th. Several hundred signed that first day, and it's going to continue to be busy all the way the rest of the year. Jesse, you, you always do a great job of uh, reporting. We, we know in advance, it seems, where these guys are going to sign, roughly what they're going to sign for. You know, A lot of the deals have already come to fruition. You know, the, the one exception, the one notable exception, I think the only guy in, in the top 19 prospects who we don't know or don't think we know where he's going to wind up is the number two prospect, Oscar Colas, the, the, the Shohei Otani of Cuba, even though he, he hasn't pitched a lot in, in the last three years or so. Do you have a sense of where he's going to sign? I mean, I, I'm based in Chicago. The, the White Sox and, and their fans are thrilled that they're like the destination for Cuban players with Abreu and Mancada and Luis Robert. And they signed your number one prospect, Yoelki Suspedes. They may get uh, Norge Vera, your top-ranked pitcher. That one's not official yet. Do we know where, where Colas is going to sign, or do we have an inkling? And will it be this year, or will it be next year? Does he have to wait for somebody's pool to open up? You know, that's a very interesting question. And I touch base with people around Colas, talking to teams and to agents, kind of capping my ear on the ground there. And no one really knows at this point. I think the White Sox fans are justified in their interest because the track record there with the White Sox and the Cuban players and, you know, how they have a track record of, of signing international players specifically from Cuba. So I understand why they're so excited. But the reality is, because of COVID, 
because he came onto the market. He became a free agent a little bit later. A lot of teams have not seen him yet. So the logistics of getting him into a showcase where all the clubs can see him, you know, it, it's really tricky. So a lot of teams are trying to get private workouts with him. Ultimately, I, I think the goal is to get him in front of everybody to decide, you know, kind of figure out who still has money left and what kind of player he is. I think the track record is there. You know, he played in Japan. He played in Cuba in the City Nacional, the top league there. By all reports and video and people who have seen him, he can hit. He's a left-handed hitter. And, you know, he can hit the ball. He can put the ball in play. And he has some power. And he has a good arm. It's a, it's a 90s to 95-mile-per-hour fastball. And with, like, emerging secondary stuff, I do think it's going to be one of the stories we follow the rest of spring through summer because I don't think anybody knows where Colas is going to sign. And that's what kind of makes it exciting. We can follow this path of this player that everyone's paying attention to. Yes, the Cuban Otani is high praise. And is is it unfair? I think probably so. But it's going to garner interest. And, you know, I'm going to be one for one who's going to be really following and just paying close attention because I know a lot of fans and a lot of people want to know where this uh, young man's going to sign. Hey, Jesse, let's talk about some of the players who have signed. Starting at the top of the list, the number one player on this year's list, as is often the case with these lists, and we've talked about this on on previous shows, but this is a, a difficult job of trying to incorporate older Cuban players into a list that is predominantly 16-year-old kids from largely the Dominican and Venezuela. Uh, but the top player on this year's list is a, a very familiar name, uh, Yoelki Cespedes, who signed with the White Sox for uh, just a bit over $2 million. Colas, number two, as Jim mentioned. The next four players on the list, all now 17-year-old shortstops in Wilman Diaz, Carlos Colmenares, Armando Cruz, Kristen Hernandez, the first two Venezuelans, the second two Dominicans. Uh, they go to the Dodgers. Rays, Nationals, and Cubs, respectively. Uh, the number seven player on the list is the player who got the biggest bonus to this point anyway uh, from the Astros, Cuban outfielder Pedro Leon. Eighth player on the list, Jesus Galiz, Venezuelan catcher, goes to the Dodgers for $812,000. Number nine is Ricardo Perez, another Venezuelan catcher who goes to the Phillies for a million. And the number 10 player on the list, Yeti Capi, uh, shortstop from Cuba, who goes to the Marlins for $3.5 million. Jesse, a couple things that, that stand out when you look at the list and the teams that signed this year's top prospects. Uh, to me, something that I thought was notable is that some of the bigger players in the international market uh, over the past decade or so, uh, the Yankees, the Cubs, the Rangers, those are the three teams that have signed more uh, international top 30 prospects over the past decade than any other teams in the big leagues. Yankees didn't sign any top 30 prospects. Uh, neither did the Rangers. The Cubs got one of the top 30 prospects this year, but it seems like some of those big players were not involved this year. So Jason, I think that speaks to how competitive it is. You know, there's some parity. If you think about the bonus pools, the amounts are all similar. Maybe there's a million dollars separating you know teams or maybe there's two or three separating you know the top team from the teams with the least amount of money so what that means is everybody's in play and what it shows me is that general managers owners decision makers 
understand how important that is. Yes, I think the Yankees, uh, the Cubs, the Rangers, teams like that have been on top of this for, for decades. You know, the Dodgers were one of the first teams. The Cubs have a long history. Um, you can look at the Rangers track record of international players that goes back several years, decades long. And I think what we're seeing now is other clubs become involved. Clubs who were not as active in the past are really paying attention to the international market. So there's more competition. So it's not as easy for, say, the Yankees of the world or these other teams who traditionally locked up all the big players and put them into the system to do that because everything's in play, every team's in play, and that's why you're going to see more parity this year and in years past. Yeah, one of those teams, Jesse, uh, you know, that we're still getting used to seeing being active are the Orioles. You know, for years were completely dormant internationally. And then, you know, since Mike Elias has taken over the reins, they started dipping their toes in the waters and they kind of jumped all in this year. 17 players, they've they used up almost all of their bonus pool. They gave out two seven-figure bonuses, which they've not done ever. So, you know, it's it just uh, one of whom Michael, uh, Michael Hernandez is, was on the, on the top 30 of Venezuelan shortstop. But, you know, you, you kind of touched on this a little about, you know, more and more teams getting active. But, you know, how crucial do you think it is to have all 30 teams, you know, be as active as possible? And even if the Yankees or the, the Cubs didn't uh, make huge splashes with guys in the top 30, it doesn't mean they're not, they're not out scouting and, and, and looking for, for players. But to me, the Orioles have kind of stood out as a team that's like announcing their presence with authority, I guess. All right, Jonathan, I think you nailed that one. The Orioles are definitely a, one of the biggest stories of this international signing period. As you mentioned, 17 on the first day, including a couple of players for over a million dollars. Yes, we had Hernandez on the uh, the top 30 list, but there was another guy, Samuel Basalo. You know, he's a left-handed catcher. He's six foot three, 200 pounds. Um, he was a highly touted guy as well. And he was, he narrowly missed making the top 30 list. So you're seeing the Orioles become active and really paying attention. One thing that really struck me when I'm in the Dominican Republic or I'm at these international showcases is how many Orioles scouts are there, how many orange shirts I'm seeing there, because that was not always the case. It's Maybe you'd see one Orioles scout or you'd look around and you'd ask, you know, is every team here? And they would, and generally the organizer would say every team but one and everybody knew who the team was. So now the Orioles are, are, are rolling deep basically to each of these events and, and it shows up, it's showing up. And I think that speaks to how they view the international market as just an important way to bring talent into the system. I think in general clubs are really, you know, understanding that yes, our goal is to get, you know, a top guy, you know, get a Wanda Franco to get a, a Vlad Guerrero Jr. But also there's other ways to measure success on the international market. Let's, Let's have success by putting an international player in as part of a trade. Let's have success by adding depth to our system. I know we as reporters, I know fans also as well, we're always measuring a successful team on the international market with how many guys are in the big leagues. And yes, that is very important. And we can never downplay that. But there's a lot of ways to have success on the international market. And I think clubs are really recognizing that and realizing that and hoping these international players that they're signing today at 16 are going to help them in, in one way or another in the future. Yeah, Jesse, I know when we do our, our draft list, 
you know, we, we put who we think the best guys are at the top, but there's always guys, you know, lower on the list who, who stand out, who are our favorites. Uh, when I worked at Baseball America, John Manuel always called them uh, personal cheese balls. Is there somebody or, or, or multiple players on, say, the back half of your top 30 that you really like that you think are, are, are going to make a, a big impact? Is there anybody who stands out in that regard? Abel Bastidas. He's a guy from Venezuela. Traditionally, uh, Venezuelans have great infielders, and he he's a little bit lower on their list. I think he's uh, in the 20s and closer to 30, but he's a guy who I followed since he's come onto the market. He's really developed into a, a, lo- a nice-looking little prospect, and these guys are exciting to watch because you, he- you read about them, you hear about them at age 15, age 16, and then you see them grow into prospects. You see them grow into the players that they're going to be. And one thing that really struck me, you know, talking with him and, and dealing with him is the fact that he is trained by Cesar Sturis and Mike Sturis. You remember the former big leaguers, great coaching every single day. He's learning how to play the position as a pro. And he's also learning the lessons. He's being taught the lessons of what's going to happen off the field, how he's going to deal with the language barrier, how he's going to deal with the moving to small towns when you're you're not familiar with how to interact with different cultures or different types of people. And there's a, a big adjustment from a, for an international player coming from your country to the United States. And when you have the Asturias brothers guiding you along the way, two guys who have had successful major league careers, you know, that's a leg up for these prospects. So, you know, I expect high things from Bastidas. So, Jesse, Bastidas, number 27 on the list, uh, signed with the Tigers for $1.175 million. You mentioned another uh, Venezuelan shortstop, which leads me to this point. I wanted to talk a little bit about the composition of the list because this year's list has 19 shortstops on it, which is the most uh, we've ever had on our top 30 international prospects list. So nearly two-thirds of the list, shortstops. Uh, there are seven outfielders, and that's pretty indicative of how these lists usually shape up. About two-thirds of the list, at least two-thirds of the list, is typically made up of shortstops and outfielders. And then we'll have two, three, four, five at the most pitchers, and they're almost always right-handed. Um, and then there's usually one to three catchers on the top 30 prospects list. Can you talk a little bit about why that is, why there are so many shortstops on the list, how many of them stick at shortstop, and also the the difficulty of of identifying and then developing young pitchers. As far as the pers- first question goes, guys are assigned as center fielders or shortstops. They're trained, uh, they're developed that way in their academies in the Dominican Republic. And I think you know, I think we can understand that happens a lot of times in the United States as well. That happens in Little League. A lot of times the most, the most athletic or maybe the best player is probably at shortstop or center field. And you put him there and you let him develop. The tricky part here is they're signing at 16. So some of these guys, their bodies are still growing. Yes, a kid is 6'3", 175, and they'll say, yes, we project him to, yes, he's a big kid, but we project him to stay at the position. But there's a chance he's going to outgrow that position. There's a chance your shortstop is going to move to third. There's a chance your shortstop is going to move to first base. He can even move to the outfield. I think the same thing goes with center fielders. These guys are athletic. They have the good arms. They have 
they can track balls and uh, they have all the tools that you need to play in the outfield. But as their bodies develop and as their bodies grow, their bodies change, they could shift to the corner position. So I think ideally when they sign these guys, I don't think they're thinking, hey, this is going to be our right fielder. Hey, this guy is going to be a third baseman. I think they're looking at all these guys at shortstops. I think they're looking at all these guys at, as future center fielders. Uh, Wander Franco's a, a guy who really stood out at that time. But I do remember some conversations as early as 15 or 14 or 15 with Wander. They were worried or thinking about moving him to second base. And that's the first time in a long time that I had heard, you know, talk around in, in the international scouting community about a young prospect who was really good at shortstop already thinking about moving to second base and we'll see where where Franco ends up as he you know makes his way through the system but I think it just speaks to they want short stops these are who we consider the best athletes and that's who teams are signed as far as the pitching goes I think it's it's a little bit more difficult for scouts international scouts to determine what a 15 year old what a 16-year-old pitcher is going to be right now and what he's going to be in the future. How is that 85-mile-per-hour fastball, how much velocity is he going to add? What's his repertoire look like? Does he have a changeup? Does he have a slider? You know, it's it's really tough at 15 years old when they're really, you know, focusing on these guys so they can sign at 16 to project what kind of pitcher he's going to be. So what happens often in, in the international scouting community is you're going to see an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old pitcher from Dominican Republic or Venezuela. Those are the guys that sign. Not the 16-year-old eligible kid is not going to be a top prospect or one of the top-rated guys. I mean, there are exceptions, but it's just a, a tricky and a difficult way to uh, to evaluate and project how the pitchers are going to grow. Jesse, I wanted to, to to piggyback for a second, kind of on what Jim said, you're picking a guy lower on the list. Then there are also the guys who don't make the list that are intriguing to you. You mentioned Basalo, who signed with uh, with the Orioles, who's not on the top 30, but got $1.3 million, or, or will sign with the Orioles if, if it hasn't officially come to pass, although it seems like it has. Who's a guy who didn't make your list, who either got a good bonus or like really intrigues you as a player and you're excited to sort of see him maybe surpass what the the early expectations are because we all know you know we, we do the prospect list and we guys get to the big leagues for all the guys who get three million there's some guy who signs for you know fifteen thousand dollars who ends up being a, a star or a guy who is a little more under the radar than some of these top 30 guys are you know you're exactly right Jonathan I mean the size of the bonus doesn't necessarily equate to the size of the talent or the way they project I think it's more of a reflection of the market and the competition for these guys. We talked about the Orioles, how these guys have really focused. I think we're gonna look back at some of these guys that the Orioles you know, focused in on, signed and developed. And we're gonna follow these guys in the minor leagues and potentially in you know, the big leagues. But one guy that stands out, he didn't make our list. Jamal Flores is an outfit from the Dominican Republic. He signed for 1.3 million. And the Phillies are one of these teams who are traditionally one of the most aggressive clubs, active clubs on the international market. Uh, they have a, just a long track record of signing players, developing them, getting into the big leagues or trading them off. So Flores is a guy who was another guy who was close to making the list, a big kid, you know, tons of tools. Uh, there was a, a lot of buzz around him. And I think as you guys know, 
with a, only a certain amount of pl players you can put on these lists. There has to be a, a cutoff point. So Flores didn't make it. He is someone to keep an eye on. Phillies prospect. And uh, I think fans in Phillies, you know, this is the kid you can watch for a long time. And, and hopefully, if, uh, like I said, if you're a Philly fan, he'll be in the big leagues for you. Yeah, so we are, you know, focusing on the top three prospects. We're talking about kids getting, you know, seven-figure bonuses. But to lend some perspective, you know, we're, we're focusing on 30 players here, but nearly a 1,000 amateur, international amateur players sign each year. And a lot of these guys are, in a lot of cases, nowhere near the top 30 list when, when we're putting this out. Look at some names of guys who signed for far less money over the past, just the past five, eight years. Ozzy Alves signed for $350,000. Yandy Diaz, $300,000. Victor Robles, $225,000. And Jesse, you were talking about the pitchers. And it does look like a lot of these guys who uh, signed for a relatively small amount of money compared to some of the, the bigger signings are pitchers. Sandy Alcantara, $125,000. Uh, Denelson Lamette, $100,000. Edward Cabrera, Sixto Sanchez. Sixto Sanchez, maybe the best example, $35,000 signing in 2015. Uh, Luis Patino, the list goes on, and, and also several uh, hitters as well, Jazz Chisholm, Kiebert Ruiz, Vidal Brujan, a lot of guys who are currently top 100 prospects. Uh, Jesse, wanted to switch gears, and since we have you, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, we were going to talk about the Dream Series, and uh, as luck would have it, you are a Dream Series veteran in terms of covering it. This was uh, an event that was established back in 2017, and if I'm not mistaken, you've been there uh, every year, because now we're, we're going from talking about players who are scattered all across the world to an event that's uh, basically held in your backyard. Although I, I don't think they they probably could hold it in your backyard from some of the video and photos I've seen of your kids playing ball back there. But I don't they don't actually hold it in your backyard, do they? No, they don't. So I live in Phoenix. This is they hold the Dream Series in Tempe, actually at the uh, spring training home of the Angels there. So they use the entire facility. And uh, again, it's it's one of the my favorite things that I cover, it's, I don't know, it's maybe 15 minutes from my home. And uh, it, it is just a star studded event. I remember the first time I covered the event, I looked around, I saw LaTroy Hawkins, Darren Oliver, Marquise Grissom, Tom Gordon, and the list goes on and on of former major leaguers. And they were there bright and early. It was like 5.30 AM. They were eating breakfast and ready in full uniform. You know, they were ready to roll. And those attendants were so fortunate to have these people guiding them, showing them the lessons of baseball. But one thing that really stood out, and Jerry Manuel was a big part of that, is the life lessons they teach. They're teaching about being a professional. They're talking about social issues. They're talking about things that happen in their community and, and just sharing life experiences. It's a really intimate, it's a really honest, and real experience. I mean, the baseball is top notch. It is priceless. If you look around, you see all these former major league players there and they're given their time. I think they're probably flying on their own dime and they get there and they're there for three or four days and they're sharing everything they know with these young prospects. And when they do, you know, the prospects has been really receptive. They're really into it. I think one of the first things they do at the Dream Series is they have a welcome dinner. 
And at the welcome dinner, they'll show videos of all the instructors. So they'll show their career highlights and you'll see, you know, home runs, uh, pitchers striking out guys. And you see the kids getting into it. You see them cheering. And then and then once that video is done, the men who accomplished those feats come out and start speaking to them. So that kind of sets the tone for what that event is. And I, I know it's virtual this year, but I know the, the attendance are going to take a lot out of it because it was a really special event. I felt really fortunate to be able to cover it. And I know the coaches and the players walk away from that feeling really good and learning a lot about themselves and other players in the country. So a, a quick thumbnail sketch of what the Dream Series is. It's a, a showcase event that focuses on pitching and catching for high school athletes, predominantly African-American from across the country, takes place during Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend, uh, was established in 2017, I mentioned before, by Major League Baseball and USA Baseball. You can get more information about the Dream Series at MLB.com slash Dream Series. And we will have uh, a little bit from this year's Dream Series, which Jesse mentioned was held virtually. So uh, we're going to let you uh, drop in on a little bit of this year's Dream Series right after this. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And uh, the MLB's Dream Series uh, was forced to go virtual uh, over this past weekend, as so many things have this year. Uh, but that gives us an opportunity to take a listen in to the Pitching with a Plan Roundtable with LaTroy Hawkins, Jerry Manuel, Garvin Alston, and Tuki Toussaint. I think for me, it's just being able to be in an environment where everybody looks like me. That gives you some type of empowerment, when you, especially when you're a young man. And dealing with the young men that we deal with in, in high school, being able to be in a place where you have all these positive mentors around you that actually played the game at the highest level, and they're able to pour into your cup. And just seeing the level of the, the, uh, the kids from – you know, come their freshman year, and now we see those kids who are going on to college or even getting drafted. I mean, that, you know, that right there is special for me because it lets me know and it reassures that, that the program is working. Oh, well said, Troy. Well said. And Jerry and you? Tony and Dale have um, taken the program to another level. 
another level. I, I felt that um, when they took over, we kind of grabbed um, some momentum. And so momentum leads into a movement. And we were right at that point to where, before this COVID thing hit, to where the movement was getting ready to happen. We were getting ready to see the manifestation of the work that we were doing with the youth happen at the next level. And when you see that all-inclusive um, ability in our game, it can't help nothing but to make a better game. And that's what, that's kind of what we're like lacking in, in, in our sport today, which we all love is that, is that charisma yeah. and that entertainment factor that our kids bring that sometimes has been stripped from them. Therefore, we don't really get them. We get the, what they look like, but not who right. they are. Right. And that's, that's, that's what we allow them to be when they come to our camps, but doing it also in a spirit of excellence. Right. When you do that and you bring that, that, those pieces together, Man, it's, it's, it's fun to watch the game. It's fun to be a part of the game. Everybody doesn't look the same. Everybody looks different. Everybody, everybody brings something a little different. Like Ichiro, he brought something different to the game. He brought something different. We thought, hey, man, we get this little old skinny dude out anytime. <laughs> but this dude was just banging and smooth in the outfield, and it just had a, had a flow about him, yeah. which he brought from his country. Well, that's outstanding. Uh, I'll sh I'll share with you guys something. So when I first heard about the uh, Dream Series, um, I was actually just where I'm at now in Arizona, and uh, a friend of mine said, "Are you going down there just to see what's going on? Or are you part of it?" And I was like, at that time, I didn't know much about it. So I literally jumped in my car and drove down. And I was standing on the outskirts over at Tempe Diablo, just watching. I'm seeing all the guys that I either played with, against, or just out there. And it was just nothing but brothers. And I was I was just amazed and my heart was filled. So I literally walked down the steps and introduced myself. And uh, I felt great just being in that environment. It just, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it right now, my first encounter of being in just that environment. But uh, with that being said, we're going to kind of kick off and get into it just a little bit. Um, the first topic that we're actually going to talk about a little bit is going to be about fastball command. And, um, you know, we talk about in baseball all, all the time about what's the absolutes and these are the must-haves and these are the things that you must do to be, you know, a pitcher or a hitter or a fielder or whatever it is that you're doing at that point in time. So as a pitcher, what is your absolutes when you're out there on the mound? We'll start with uh, Tuki. One for me is fastball command. I feel that's part of a reason I'm up and down. I don't, I don't really have it. So it's like I'm going to get it, but it's not there yet. And that's one of the – you can throw your fastball where you want. You're going to be in the game a long time. I mean, look at the Kyle Hendricks that throw 88-90, but he can dot an ass ass. Excuse my language, but you know what I mean? He can – he can throw it wherever he wants, and he's throwing 88, 90. And then you have the guys that get paid, the Garrett Coles that throw 98, 100, but you can put it wherever he wants. So that's an absolute for me. And of course, you know, Tuki Toussaint, a, a former prospect who, you know, would have benefited from, from the Dream Series. A lot of prospects have benefited from it. You know, it's a shame that they couldn't get out and, and play and get the, uh, 
on-field work uh, that they normally would. But, you know, I really think that the most important part of the Dream Series is for these amateur players who participate every year to see players, uh, you know, from their communities who look like them who have made it. Uh, and, you know, you can just look at the the former players who, who come back year after year to participate in this. Uh, we've talked to a number of prospects who talk about the importance of that. We had you know, Xavier Edwards on um, on the podcast not that long ago, and you know, he does a clinic uh, at, at home in Florida where he understands the importance of showing young players, you know, that guys like him can can succeed and, you know, Former Dream Series participants, uh, you know, first rounders, guys like Hunter Green, Jordan Walker, Simeon Woods Richardson, and and Woods Richardson was a guy who was already giving back. Uh, they did a panel as part of this virtual uh, this virtual Dream Series this year that was moderated by Bobby Scales, longtime player now uh, is the um, Pirates field coordinator. You know, it was Simeon Woods Richardson and uh, uh, Kyrie pra- uh, Paris of the Angels, Michael Harris uh, of the Braves, uh, you know, we're all part of it, Nassim Nunez of the Marlins, all guys who have been part of the Dream Series in the past, uh, giving back and talking about, you know, what it's like to to go through the minor leagues uh, as, as a player of color. And, you know, so it is a shame that they couldn't go out and play, but I really think just being able to have these conversations uh, at, at an early age, uh, it will be great for all of these young players, regardless of you know where they end up going in their playing careers. Yeah, I mean, you know, a couple of things struck me about this trade. One, I do think there were a number of teams actually trying to get Joe Musgrove. He, you know, hasn't put up you know hugely dominating numbers, and the Pirates haven't been that great. But, you know, he's clearly the best part of the Garrett Cole trade they made with Houston. And he's pitched really well for the Pirates, you know, if not having a lot to show for it. I mean, he's had a strikeout to walk ratio, you know, pretty much, you know, close to four for most of his career. I'm going to go on record. You, you, you can put this on. I don't know if we have a whiteboard or an imaginary whiteboard. I think on a good team with his ability to throw strikes and miss bats, Joe Musgrove will get National League Cy Young Award votes in 2021. I think it, it's sneaky, good pickup for the Padres. Um, and this is one of these trades that, that to me made, made perfect sense for both clubs. Padres are trying to win now and they've made another trade without giving up any of their top 100 caliber prospects. You know, Hudson head is the, is the best prospect they give up in this trade. Um, I think he was number seven on our Padres list, but you know, he, he, he did get $3 million as a third round pick. Um, you know, he was a, a popular prospect coming out of the draft in 2019. I don't know if there are a lot of teams that would have given him $3 million in the third round. Um, and, and he's only played, you know, he hasn't played above rookie ball. So, I mean, this isn't a guy who was going to help San Diego anytime in, in the near future. You know, they're, they're, but, you know, looking at it from Pittsburgh's side of things, it makes perfect sense. Musgrove's, you know, in arbitration. He's going to get more expensive. He's going to be a free agent in two years before they're they're ready to win in Pittsburgh. So so why not turn him into, you know, a number of players? I, I think Lucchese, you know, Lucchese's not going to win a Cy Young Award, but Lucchese could pitch some innings, and, and he's shown he's a decent big league starter. And you got a ton of prospect depth in this trade. So I, I think it makes a a ton of a ton of sense for uh, for all these guys. 
Jonathan, before you weigh in here, let's let's make sure that we get this on record. What, well, hold on a second. And I just realized Lucchese's going to the Mets, so that 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 was why they participated in it. But but I, it yes. makes a lot of a lot of sense for Pittsburgh. Well, let's do get this on record though on the imaginary whiteboard. Another another twenty five thousand dollar guarantee by Jim. No, I didn't guarantee anything. I think I I heard, just, I, you guys heard that right? Twenty five. I heard him guarantee it. Yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, that uh, Joe Musgrove will. Was a win, win the Cy Young Award? No, I say, get, Award. I say get Cy Young Award votes in 2021. So are you guys each paying me 25000 then, if he does? When that happens? We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out later. No, I need to know. And like, like I, I think to Danny and Allie, our producers, have to – like I, I'm looking at 100K here. If you get, like I may have more incentive for Joe Musgrove to get Cy Young Award votes you may, than, you may than start- Joe Musgrove has in his contract. Jim's going to start paying Cy Young Award voters under the table to make sure that I, I, I just need vote. one. I just you, need you just one. need the one, right? I'm going to stay. I'm going to try to stay above the fray on that one. But, you know, it's you know, we we got to know Musgrove a bit, as you said during the, our tour of San Diego before the Futures game. Uh, unbelievable guy. I'm sad to see him leave Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, not that I got to see him during 2020, but it was always nice to see him uh, at the ballpark when that was the thing uh, that you could do. And he was, you know, kind of maddening, a little enigmatic because, you know, the stuff was always very good. Uh, You know, Jim talked about some of his numbers being very good, but it it just never quite took the sort of next step uh, in, in, in terms of who, you know, who he could be or who the Pirates kind of needed him to be. So I, I do agree. I think this is a trade that makes sense on both ends, you know, I thought I thought for a bit that Lucchese was going to stay in Pittsburgh, and I may have liked that a little bit more because it did fill a you know a need, even if it was just to fill innings on a on a team that's likely to struggle in twenty twenty one as they as they rebuild. But you know this was a system that has thinned out a bit, uh, you know, over the years, and this filled in a lot of interesting talent. Uh, we'll have to see, you know. Uh, David Bednar, nice little site, is a Pittsburgh area guy, so he gets to come home uh, as well. And he is the one guy who probably has a chance to contribute in 2021 to the Pirates' bullpen if he can get himself straightened out. He was a little up and down in his brief time in the big leagues, uh, but I think he's a you know a, a certainly usable big league bullpen piece. And the other guys all have you know a good amount of upside. Omar Cruz is more pitchability, but he's left-handed. Um, you know, has a chance to be kind of a mid-rotation kind of guy. But Hudson Head and Indy Rodriguez have some some good upside, uh, you know, I think. And all four of those guys that, you know, will be in the current Pirates top 30 uh, once this deal is is made official. It's not official as as we're recording this. And then, you know, we'll uh, when we look at the 2021 Pirates top 30, we'll reconfigure, uh, you know, a little bit. But uh, I, I think, you know, Guys far away, but some really interesting upside for a player, you know, that, uh, yes, had been getting a lot of interest and most people figured was going to get traded, uh, you know, at at some point, if not now, then over the course of this year. All right. I know we're running a little long here and we need to wrap up, but I wanted to have you guys do this. We don't have to delve into the details and talk about every prospect involved, but I, I wanted to see just kind of gut feel from you guys. The four trades that we've discussed here that happened over the past few weeks, can you rank how you feel the teams who got prospects in those deals, how they did, uh, how would you rank their hauls with the Rays in the Snell deal, the Cubs in the Darvish deal, the Mets in the Lindor deal, 
and the Pirates and the Musgrove deal. And we're just doing this. It's not based on what they gave up, just the straight haul, right? I mean, well, I think the Rays are clearly number one because they got Luis Patino and Cole Wilcox, Cole Wilcox and Blake Hunt. So, I mean, Agreed. To, to me, they're the clear number one. I might go – I think I might go – Indians too, even though we don't consider Jimenez or Rosario prospects, Jonathan, just because I, I like the combo of Josh Wolf and Isaiah Green from the last two drafts. I would I would probably go them two, Cubs three, Pirates four. Yeah, the Indians one is tough because I mean, so uh, Commissioner Ratliff, are we allowed to consider Jimenez and Rosario as part of the hall and when we're ranking or no? I'm not concerned. I'm still putting them two without considering them. Okay. So so you would put I, I, the combination of Zaya Green and Josh Wolf ahead of the combination of prospects either the Cubs or Pirates got. Just right. Although I, th- I think two, three, and four are all very close. It's yeah, I think it's close. You know, and then the Pirates also you know made made the deal to get Eddie Yeen and and Will Crow with the Nationals. So if we're only looking at individual trades, I think I might put the Pirates ahead of the Cubs, but ever so slightly. And I'll put the Indians too as well. It's close. Very close. See, I see Owen Casey kind of comparable to Hudson Head. And I like the international guys a little bit more than the, the Pirates guys. I think you could make an argument to, to kind of stack them behind the Rays any which way. Okay, let's wrap up as we always do by answering a question from the mailbag. And this one comes from at Joey Donuts, who asks, if Colas, and that's Oscar Colas, does actually wait and signs with the White Sox next January 15th, who is more likely to play corner outfield long-term in Chicago, Colas or Cespedes? And my question to Joey Donuts would be, why does it have to be either or? Yeah, there are two corners. You know, Eloy Jimenez, as much as I love the bat, is dangerous to himself and his pitching staff when he has a glove on his hand. And I think he's going to wind up at DH sooner rather than later. So I would think when you're projecting the outfield of the future, you would have, you know, assuming they do sign Colas, you, you would go with an all Cuban outfield with Luis Robert in center flanked by Yoelki Suspedes and Oscar Colas. Uh, you know, if I can only pick one for whatever reason, I will say, and Jesse does this a lot, you know, he's delved into these guys a lot more than I do. I would go with the guy who I think is the better offensive player. And I have, again, this is based more on gut feel and reading various reports. I, I would go with Oscar Colas over Yalki Suspedes. Um, he's younger. Uh, if, I, if I had to pick between the two, I, w- I would take Colas. But, but I, I think you could see them both. There's no reason it only has to be just one. One thing that stood out to me on Colossus' report uh, is that he's played some third and he's left-handed. So let's have a left-handed third baseman in Chicago if he signs with the White Sox. That's going to be a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, please leave us a rating, preferably a good one, and a review, again, preferably a good one. Uh, Jim, Jim might, uh, there might be something in it for you. Jim's got $25,000 bills lying all around. Thanks for listening to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. See you next week.